So can I start off our time together today with a little bit of a confession? (laughs) So about seven years ago, while I was still taking some courses to finish off my degree in seminary, I was getting towards the end of my program. And for those of you who've studied in school, you know what happens when you start getting towards the end of the program is you have to take the courses that are required and they're not necessarily the courses that you want to take because every program has that. It's got those courses that you have to take. Well, in my program that I was taking, I had to take a course on spiritual disciplines. And here's the confession part. I actually thought it was a complete waste of my time to have to take a course on spiritual disciplines. I mean, if you're a Christian like I am, and you've been going to church for as long as I have, or even longer, you have heard hundreds and hundreds of messages on the importance of spiritual disciplines. I mean, in fact, where I was at in my own faith journey, I was going to seminary while pastoring here at Greenbelt Church. I had taught dozens of times on the importance of spiritual disciplines already. So I had to kind of suck it up. And just for the sake of finishing off my program and graduating, I jumped into this class on spiritual disciplines. Now, I got to the class and met the professor for the first time. It was a professor that I'd never had before. Turns out he was a guest teacher in our seminary, and um, he was blind. So in that very first session, the very first class, he had us all sit around in a circle, and kind of him at the head of the circle, and all of us in a circle, and every time we would ask a question or read or, you know, interact with him, he always asked us to say our name first until he became familiar with our voice and where we were seated in the circle. Now, this man um, wasn't born blind. He actually became blind because of a degenerative disease in his eyes. Don't remember exactly what illness he had, but it actually caused him excruciating pain as parts of his eyes and the connectors between his eyes and his brain were slowly dissolving. And there was nothing doctors could do about it to get rid of the pain. And he shared with us his journey of that, of being completely covered in pain. And that pain embittered him. It enraged him. It brought out an anger in him that he never knew was there before. And it changed him into someone completely different. Um, He lost his wife. She eventually left him because of the changes in his life. He lost his relationship with his children because of those changes. And he shared with us quite intimately that it was only because of the spiritual disciplines that he brought back into his life after that season that were able to draw him close to God and able to help him start to foster those relationships and see healing come back into those relationships. And when he kind of just opened up his heart and opened up his soul to us as students, I just leaned in. And I have never been more blessed than to learn about how someone like that can be completely transformed because of spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. 
So if you're new with us here at Greenbelt Online, my name is Kevin, and I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor here. I want to just give a special welcome to you for those that are new. We're in week three of a series based on the book Convergence. This book was written by a Canadian pastor named John Thompson. And in his book, he talks about the importance of spiritual disciplines, spiritual gifts, and that move of God that happens. And when those three things come together, that you will see an incredible ministry flourish in your life and in your church. And so that's what we're doing is we're going through this book and some other teachings from scripture to really see what God has in store for your life and for our life as a church family. We started off in week one looking at the idea that every single follower of Jesus is called to have influence. That if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, you have received a call on your life to have influence in the world. The problem is the world around us wants to have a negative influence on our lives. And so we have to battle that tension between the influence that God has called us to have compared to the negative influence that the world is trying to put on top of us. So that's what we did in week one. Last week in week two, we looked at what Jesus accomplished for us and what Jesus did by dying and rising from the dead. And we saw that not only is Jesus our Lord and our Savior, but we also saw how Jesus is our model for Christian living. Is that Jesus did his miracles. He did his divine work on earth because of the spiritual gifts that came upon him when the Holy Spirit came into him. Just like how the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we put our faith in Jesus. And so today we're going to now dive in and start talking about some of the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines that Jesus had in his life, that the apostles had in their lives and write about all throughout the New Testament. Because it is so crucial to understand what spiritual disciplines are. Maybe you're new today or maybe you're not, you know, you've been around for a long time and you're just not too sure what they are. Well, here's a little bit of a working definition for you, right? Spiritual disciplines are the regular habits that we build into our lives to help us draw closer to God. And as we draw closer to God, we learn to hear his voice and know his will, you see, ultimately, that's my desire for you with this next two weeks here in the sermon series. Why do I believe it's important to teach on spiritual disciplines? It's so that you will learn how to put regular habits into your life to draw you closer to God so that you can learn to hear the voice of God and to know God's will for your life. That's exactly the model that Jesus had for us when he was here on earth, right? In John chapter six, verse 38, Jesus said these words to his followers. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus had been teaching his followers that he had been sent by the father to accomplish not his will, 
but the Father's will. You see, and you and I have the exact same call in our lives as followers of Jesus, that we're not supposed to be using our Christian faith, our Christian experience, our disciplines, and our spiritual gifts for our will. We're supposed to use those to discern God's will and to do God's will. So Jesus is our example of him using spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices so that he would know the will of the Father. Now, before I start explaining some of the spiritual disciplines, we're going to do this over the next two weeks. I'm going to talk about five disciplines this week and then five disciplines next week. But before I do that, it's very, very crucial that you remember these three things about spiritual disciplines. Because I think so often in church history and in our own lives, sometimes we miss the point of what these spiritual disciplines are all about. So this is a little bit of a warning label, just as a reminder, uh, right at the beginning, before we talk about the practices and the disciplines. Right? The first thing that is absolutely crucial to remember is that these disciplines do not make God love us. These disciplines that we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks do not make God love us. God already loves you. God already loves you just as you are. If you're here today and you've been following Jesus for decades, or if you're here today and you're not too sure if even you believe in Jesus, I want you to know God loves you. I mean, that's why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came here to show us the love of the Father. You see, God doesn't prove his love for us by um, what he gives us. And we don't earn God's love by what we do for him with these disciplines. God has already proven his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. And so this is so incredibly crucial to remember because so many people grow up in Christian environments or other religious environments that teach these disciplines are requirements for God's love. You know, you better be a good girl. You better be a good boy. You better do all of these things. You better do your disciplines. You better do your spiritual practices. All of these rules and regulations, if you don't do them, then God won't love you. And so many of us, myself included, that was a little bit of my religious upbringing as a child. If you didn't do this, God wouldn't love you. Or if you do do this, then God loves you. So we've got to make sure that we fully understand that it is not these disciplines that make God love us. God already loves us. The second very important warning to look at before we dive in is to remember is that these disciplines are not so that they're not to be used so that we can get God to do what we want. You see, we don't do these disciplines as a way to manipulate God into giving us and doing what we want. It's not about if I do this, then God must do that. If I do this, then the Lord will do that. It doesn't work that way. This isn't about um, us putting our will on God. 
Again, just like Jesus said, this is about us hearing from God so that we can know know his will. So the first reminder is these disciplines do not make God love us. The second is the disciplines are not to get God to do what we want. And the third one, I think this is probably the most crucial, is um, the reality is disciplines take time and effort. Disciplines, spiritual practices take time and effort. You know, sadly, in our culture today, um, we love fast food. We love just sound bites. We like 140 characters in Twitter to describe an entire news article. We like instant credit. We like breaking news. We like push notifications. We like books entitled Have a New Teenager by Friday. <laughs> we like solutions fast, quick, and easy. In fact, I think almost instinctively we resist anything that will take time and effort. But the reality is if you approach these disciplines that way, if you approach these practices that it's got to be fast, it's got to be instant, it's got to be quick, you will be disappointed with them. Some disciplines might come easier to you based on your personality. Some might come harder. Some might take a season to learn and to grow in, and some might come a little quicker. They all work differently for different people. But I guarantee if you lean into them, because I believe the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines are a gift for all of us so that we can come closer to God so that we can know God's will for our lives, for our church. You see, spiritual disciplines are to hear from God. Spiritual gifts are to be empowered by God. And when that's put together with the fruit of the Spirit, that's the work that God is doing on our character, right? When all of those three things come together, it makes for an incredible, godly, effective ministry in our lives and in our church. So that is the desire I have for us as a church going forward. So the rest of this message today is going to be very practical. We're going to look at a number of passages from the New Testament talking about these spiritual disciplines. going to go through five of them today. And I realize I'm going to be hitting these things at a super high level. Like I'm talking like a 50,000 feet above the ground kind of level. We're going to go through them fairly quickly. We're going to look at kind of how they were modeled in Jesus's ministry and the life of the apostles, how they could be used in our lives. But this is really just tip of the iceberg type of teaching today. There's a lot of great books that you can get on these disciplines. Convergence is one of them. You can start there. There's other books um, like um, Celebration of the Disciplines and others that are just great resources to get much deeper into these topics. And even some of the disciplines that we're going to look at today in just a few minutes, those disciplines on their own could be a multi-week sermon series when you really unpack them. So this is just to kind of start wetting our appetite a little bit on how God might want to use these principles and these disciplines in our lives so that we can hear more from him. So the first one that I want us to talk about today is the discipline and the practice of confession. The discipline of confession. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the apostle writes these words. 
He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then James, another one of the apostles, writes in his letter, in his book, James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. You see, I was raised in a religious context to actually dread and despise confession. I was kind of ra- I was raised in a school and confession was a regular part of the religious obligation that we had as children in that school. My school building was attached to the church building. And then once a month, I think it was, we all had to kind of parade over from the classroom over to the sanctuary. And we all had to take turns confessing. You see, this wasn't a beautiful practice, a beautiful spiritual experience in order to draw closer to God growing up. It was a miserable experience. At one point, I remember when I was going for that religious traditional confession, um, I was in this closed room, uh, the minister was on the other side of a, of a curtain, and I had to confess my sins to him. So I, you know, I was pretty young at the time, maybe 10, 11. So I said, um, well, you know what, I've been lying to my parents. And he goes, well, what else? And I said, ah, I stole some change out of my mom's purse. Sorry, mom, if you're watching today, I confess that to you today. <laughs> and he goes, okay, what else? And I go, well, I think that's about it. He goes, no, that's not true. There's more. And I'm like, what? He goes, no, no, it's been a month since your last confession. There's got to be more than that. Um, so what I in turn then started to do was I started to make stuff up. <laughs> Because I couldn't think of any other sins to confess, and this guy didn't seem to be happy with my confession, so I just started lying. I just started going, well, I punched my sister in the nose. Okay, what else? Uh, I kicked my cat. Uh, Okay, what else? I'm just making stuff up. (laughs) You know, kind of, you know, really misses the point (laughs) on what we read about in the topic of confession in the Bible. Like, I love this definition of the discipline of confession from John Thompson's book here, Convergence. He writes this, right? Authentic confession is sharing our deepest weaknesses and failures with God and trusted others so that we may enter into God's grace and mercy and experience his ready forgiveness and healing. Like, listen to those words closely. Like, this is definition comes directly from these verses of 1 John 1 9 and James 5 16. Authentic confession is sharing our deepest weaknesses and failures with God and with trusted others. Doesn't have to be with a room full of 300 people, but just those Christians who know you and are walking with you so that we may enter into God's grace and mercy and experience, not just know, but truly experience God's ready forgiveness and his healing. You see, confession 
is a crucial component of the Christian faith. In fact, our Christian experience begins with confession. You see, it's the confession of our sin before God. It's that repentance of our sin, knowing that we could never be religious enough, knowing that we could never keep rules and regulations to please God. The whole Christian faith, the whole Christian journey begins with the practice of confession. Because when we confess our sin before God, that God is merciful on us and he welcomes us into his family. He forgives us and we become spiritually made whole. We become spiritually healed. We read about that in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. The practice of discipline is crucial to come into the presence of God. And maybe you're here today and you're watching our, our service today and you've never done that. You've never confessed your sin before a holy God who loves you. And maybe you've thought for your whole life, you need to be religious. You need to keep rules. You need to keep these practices and these disciplines. That if you could just do those things right, then God would accept you. But it is simply through confession. It is simply through repentance of our sin that we can be made right with God. Because he loves you. Because he sent Jesus to die for you. And right where you are, you could just pray out loud or pray it in your heart. Just say, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Today, I believe. Come into my life and make me new. And if you do that today, you are a part of the family of God, just like that, just from turning from your sins and turning to Jesus. And if you do that today, a little pop-up shows up in the chat. I would love if you would just click that raised hand button, a little, just give a little number so that we can see how many people are coming to Jesus right now and we can rejoice and celebrate with you. And then a second button shows up and says, connect with us. And if you click that button, a little form will pop up. And, you know, if you would just fill out your name and your email address, you know, we could connect with you. We can get some free resources sent to you to come alongside you in your spiritual journey with Jesus now. So the practice of confession is the beginning of our Christian experience, but it's also crucial in our relationship with God, in our relationship with one another. If we want to see God move in our lives to become real, to become close to us, to bring healing into our lives, to purify us of our sin. So that's the first practice. The first practice is a, pra- a regular practice of confession. 
maybe for some of you, how, we, how you could practice living that out even this week. It might be finding one or two people that you really trust and that you really connect with in your life group and just say, hey, can I share something with you? You know, because that's what the Bible teaches. If we, if we confess our sins to one another, <laughs> that's why we want everybody to be in a life group because we believe it's in those meaningful relationships where we can build those trusting relationships with other people. We don't expect people to come in front of a camera and confess their sins to the hundreds and hundreds of people who join us at Greenbelt Online. That's not safe, and that's not biblical. But with those meaningful, trusted relationships, it's crucial. So that's the first. The second discipline, the second practice I want us to look at is prayer. It's prayer. Now, again, this is one of those spiritual practices that I could easily do a multi-week sermon series just on the topic of prayer. Uh, there's a book by uh, an author named Richard, Richard Foster. The, the title of the book is pretty simple. It's called Prayer. And in his book, he lists 21 distinct types of prayer that we can use as spiritual practices. Now, for the sake of time today, I'm not going to go through all 21 different types of prayer. Maybe we'll do a sermon series on that later on. But today, I just want you to remember this fundamental truth about what prayer is. Right? Prayer is simply described as talking to God. Right? It's communicating with our Creator, it's communicating with the one who loves us like nobody else loves us. You see, prayer is not a to-do list, and prayer is not something that we do just to simply get things from God. Right? Every time we pray, because of the relationship that we have with Jesus, every time that we pray, we enter into God's holy presence. Right? We read about this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... Again, in his book, Convergence, uh, Pastor John says these words. He says, the most holy place is not metaphor or poetic license at heart. When we pray, we enter right into God's holy presence with all the angels, with all those who have gone before us and are with Jesus we enter the place where, without Jesus' covering sacrifice, we would die. Because of the spilt blood of Jesus on the cross, because we have been made righteous, not by our religious rules and traditions, not because we keep the practices, but because of the spilt blood of Jesus, we are made righteous, and we Enter, not with fear and trepidation, not kind of not cowering, but because of Jesus, we can enter with confidence into the most holy place, into the full presence of God with the angels and those who've gone before us. See, and that's what happens when we pray, when we simply have conversation with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father. We come into His presence. 
See, and all throughout Jesus' ministry, we can see again and again and again, Jesus stepping away from the busyness of ministry to simply focus on prayer. And he does that not because there isn't a lot of work to do. He does that so that he can hear from his father. Not so that he can go to his father and say, okay, Lord, I want to do this, 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 and this. Please bless these efforts. But no, he goes, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He constantly goes back to prayer so that he can hear from his father what the father's will is. And that's how he's our example in this spiritual practice. Now, I've been pastoring for a while now. And for some reason, this communicating with God, this simple conversation with God seems to be a very uh, challenging discipline for so many Christians. And so I just want to, for a moment, to do what Jesus did and teach you how to pray. (laughs) See, Jesus taught all of his followers on how to pray when he gave them the Lord's Prayer. You can read about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Just a few little verses to start our conversation with our Heavenly Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread Forgive us our debts. There's that confession part there. As we also forgiven our debtors, we forgive the people who confess to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, when we come to God with that attitude, it's not about what I want. God, give me this. God, give me that. Now, there's places for those type of prayers, absolutely. But if that's where you start, you're not starting from the right place. You're not starting from your relationship with God. And I think, and I know this has been my experience, especially over the past year, because there's a lot of things I've wanted to happen this past year, and not all of them have happened. (laughs) So I've had to check my heart a lot this year and say, look, am I spending more time praying for what I want Or am I spending enough time just to hear from my Father? My Father in heaven, you are holy. You are wonderful. I praise you. Your kingdom come. Not Kevin's kingdom, not Greenbelt's kingdom. Your kingdom. Your will be done. Not my my will, not my desires, not my wants. Your will be done. God, reveal to me today what your will is. You see, that's a very different posture of prayer. See, it's the posture that Jesus had before his father. Even on the night when he was betrayed, the night before he was executed on the cross, he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to die for the sins of all of humanity. And he prayed, not my will, but yours constantly wanting to know the will of God for him. So that's what the principle, the the practice of prayer can bring to us. 
is the knowledge of God's will into our lives. The third spiritual discipline I want us to look at today is a spiritual discipline called simplicity. Again, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, uh, writes a lot about this topic in one of his chapters and in fact has written so much on this one topic of simplicity that he's got an entire another book on that topic as well. Now, simplicity, the practice of simplicity is not a practice to just avoid things that are complicated because life is complicated. If you were trying to avoid everything that was complicated, you'd probably spend a lot of time just sitting on a couch not doing anything, right? So that's not its goal. Simplicity is also not the pursuit of poverty, but simplicity is the pursuit of contentment. Simplicity, the discipline of simplicity is to enjoy what God has given us. It's to find contentment in our lives. Again, so much about the world that we live in today is, um, is about the pursuit of the next thing. You know, you, you finish one thing and then it's right away to the next thing. I remember when my kids were little, I used to see that in them a lot. They would, we would have like this great fun family day, this great fun family activity. Like we'd go go-karting or we'd go to a drive-in movie theater or something like that. And while we're leaving that place, it's like, okay, what are we going to do now? What's next? <laughs> like that is so much of the human condition is that we're constantly running to the next thing. And Jesus models for us a life of contentment, of satisfied of where he's at and what he has before him. You see that throughout all four gospels of the account of Jesus, a life of contentment. We also can read about that in the life of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul writes these words. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I love this passage here. How Paul writes, learned to be content. You see, contentment doesn't come naturally to us. It's a practice. It's a discipline. I mean, for me personally, you know how I said earlier, one of the warnings was sometimes these things take a long time and they take effort. <laughs> for me personally, the practice of contentment took years to implement into my life. Years. Because I spent years not content. <laughs> I spent so many years not content with what I had and always wanted more, always wanted more, always wanted more. And so it takes practice on becoming content. One of the ways that I've really learned contentment was growing in generosity, of growing into being generous with my resources, with my money, with my time, with my life. 
And as I practice more generosity, and we're going to talk about that next week, that was a tool to help me practice contentment. It needs to be learned because it doesn't happen naturally. So for some of you, it might take a little bit of effort. Some of you might take a little bit of time if you find yourself never content with what you have or your situation. Start asking God to grow you, help you to learn contentment, just like the Apostle Paul did. Two more uh, spiritual disciplines I want to look at as we wrap up our time. The next one is worship. Is word the spiritual discipline of worship. Again, in the book Convergence, the author has a warning when it comes to the topic of worship. He says, if we pursue any discipline for a reason other than to place ourselves where God can do his transforming work, we practice for the wrong reason. That's a powerful warning. If we pursue any discipline for a reason other than to place ourselves where God can do his transforming work, we practice for the wrong reason. And sadly, I think this is hugely true when it comes to the discipline of worship. You see, the spiritual discipline of worship is all about giving attention and describing worth to God. Right? It's all about expressing whether it's through song, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through word, whether it's through action, whatever it is, it's all about expressing to God all that he means to us. And the reason why I believe worship is a discipline that we need to learn is for two reasons. The first is, again, because of our sinful human nature, because we are designed and created to worship, we will give our worship to the wrong thing. We will. Like if you get more excited by a sports team than your eternal salvation, you got to ask why. Like the fact that I've been saved for all eternity and that I, there's a creator God who loves me, that should get me more excited than a plastic cup kind of moving around on frozen water, right? But our hearts gravitate to worship other things. And all of us suffer from that. I believe no exception. We all find things that we gravitate towards in worship. That's why it's a discipline to check our hearts constantly. Am I putting something above God? And the second reason why worship is a discipline is because if we're not careful, we can make worship not about ascribing worth to God, but we can make worship all about what I get from it. My style, my preference, my song, this, me, 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 my, my, my. And it takes discipline to be broken out of that mindset. It takes practice with that. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, my uh, pastor in Montreal, Pastor David Knight, was doing a sermon series on spiritual disciplines. And he was talking about worship. And he described this voice that can creep into our lives 
when we're not on guard. Like, again, like what it says in, in the book Convergence, right? If we pursue the discipline of worship, for example, for any other reason than to place ourselves where God can do his transforming work, we're worshiping for the wrong reason. And he kind of used this voice, and I can still picture it. This is like coming up on almost 20 years ago, and I can still see Pastor David on the stage of our church in Montreal. And he leaned forward like this, and he's just like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Because that can creep into all of us so easily, so easily, that we want the practice for what we get from it. So we got to be on guard of that, right? What I love about Jesus's ministry, when um, in the gospel of Luke, Luke shows us how Jesus made worship a regular part of his life. He would go to the synagogue regularly to worship God. In fact, in Luke chapter four, verse 16, it was so normal for Jesus to worship God that it became, Luke calls it his custom, Worship is not an afterthought. It's not something we do if we have time, but it's an essential part of our relationship with God. It needs to become our custom. And then finally, the last discipline that I want to look at today is another big one, and I could do a whole sermon series on this one alone, but I want to talk just very briefly about fasting Uh, Because I think this discipline, probably out of all of them that we're going to look at, is probably the one that the least amount of people that I know um, seem to practice. Uh, Honestly, it's probably the discipline out of all of them that we're going to talk about that I personally practice the least. And it's also one of the disciplines that Scripture doesn't really help us a lot in studying this. And the reason why... There's not a lot to help us in knowing about fasting is because fasting was so commonplace in all the cultures that the Bible takes place in. It was just a regular part of their culture. This fasting is the, is the practice in, uh, that's involved in abstaining from food or another integral aspect of our lives. And so in, so we deny ourselves food. We deny ourselves something important to our lives. Right? It's the choice to go hungry in one area of our lives to explore our hunger for God in that moment. And that was just a regular part of the Jewish culture, the regular part of the Greco-Roman culture. It was just there. So they knew about it. So we know that Jesus fasted. We know that Jesus talked about fasted, fasting, and we, can, you know, we see that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Right? We see Jesus not eating in John chapter 4, verse 34. The disciples finally, they see Jesus has been fasting. They bring him some food, and Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's more concerned with hearing from the will of God in that moment. He's fasting. And so the Bible doesn't share a lot about fasting, but one of the things that it does share is that fasting seems to come in a lot of times in the Bible after something has happened. Now, there are examples of fasting for something to happen, but a lot of the times fasting is a response to something happens. It's a response of a person or of a community. And it's a response to some huge event, like a good event, a godly event, 
or sometimes even a deadly and evil event. It comes after something to deny ourselves, to seek God because of what has transpired. I know what the times when I've tried to put myself in a position of fasting, of denying my hunger and just meditate on the presence of God. I mean, the reason why it's a discipline is because for me, I end up just meditating on what I'm going to eat later after I finish my fast. (laughs) And so it's a discipline to get those thoughts captive. I appreciate the times when we fast as elders before big decisions. I'm grateful for those times when we fast as leadership teams because of something that's happened or fasting because of something that's going on and something terrible that's going on in someone's life. Even my life group recently, we've been fasting for a situation that we've been praying for to see God move in that way. And so these are just five of the many, many very different, varied Um, spiritual practices that we look at together as a church family. And again, the reason for bringing these up is to not use them as ways to make God love us, not use them so that God will kind of do what we want him to do, things like that, is we do these because we want to hear from God. I mean, I don't know about your life right now, but I know in my life, I desperately want to hear from God. I desperately want to hear from God on how I can be a better husband and father. I desperately want to hear from God how I could do my job as a pastor better. I desperately want to hear from God on how I can be a blessing to the people around me and my community here in this city. I desperately want to do God's will in all these areas of my life and not just live out my will. So how about you? I want to challenge you this week to relook at this list of spiritual disciplines. Which one is a regular part of your life? Are there areas that you could improve on it and grow in it? Are there ways that you could mentor, disciple someone else in an area that you're strong in and good at? Are there any of these that, if you were honest, maybe you haven't been as great in those? And again, the whole point of recognizing that is not so that you can feel guilty about it. It's not that you can beat yourself over. Oh, I guess I should be praying more. No. But you go, hmm, what if I did a little bit more of that this week? Would I hear God more? Would I know his will more for this situation that I'm in? That's what I want to encourage you with this week, to look at these disciplines again and see how God might want to implement those into your life more. Because spiritual disciplines, the goal is to hear from God. Spiritual gifts are to be empowered by God. The fruit of the Spirit working out in our character will change us to be more like Jesus. And when all of these things come together in a convergence that makes for godly, effective ministry in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for the example of Jesus and how he lived out these practices in so many ways. Father, I'm thankful for the mentors that I've seen in my life who have practiced these disciplines in a way that's encouraged me to follow them as they follow Christ. 
And so for all of us, Lord, as a church, I pray that you would strengthen our disciplines. I pray that you would strengthen our spiritual practices, not for what we get from them, but simply because of the fact that we will be coming into your presence. Simply for the fact that we would be closer to you. That we would do these practices, do these disciplines, so that we could hear your voice and to know your will in our lives and in our church. So, Father God, I pray that you would bless us in this endeavor this week as we look at these scriptures together, as we pray, as we study. I pray, Lord, that you would move in ways that we can never ask or imagine as we come into your presence through these practices modeled to us by Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.